Welcome to another episode of The Men of Magic. From time to time, I'll be posting interviews on here with special people that I'd like to have their story told. Glenn Goddard is someone who has taken promotion, and if you listen, a historical view of magic that very few people have perspective of from his position. I think you'll enjoy it. And now for the show. When you got into magic and promotion, what became the idea to start running your own events? Well, we started when Wizards first introduced organized play. Um, our stores in Albuquerque had been kind of on the forefoot of the forefront of the game. Uh, Peter Atkinson and his two or three employees were demoing Magic the Gathering at uh, the Origins Trade Show in Fort Worth in 1993 and it was about oh, I'd say a month and a half before it was due to release we were really enthusiastic about it and um, I made our local distributor play the game and I don't know about you but for me magic when you first start to play it you play it the first time and it's like what is this and then you play it the second time and, and you begin to see some relationship between the colors and the mana and the power and toughness and all that kind of stuff but then by the third time you play it's like oh and the lights start to go on. Well, that's what it was in Fort Worth for all of us. And so um, we went back home really excited about the game. And Peter Atkinson was nice enough to send us two starter decks a month before it released. And my wife reminds me that I made every single person who stepped in the store for those 30 days learn how to play. I mean, it was relentless. We were like, we were like men on a mission. And so when Alpha released, interestingly enough, our store, now bear in mind, it was a tiny, tiny print run, but we sold 20% of the Alpha print run in Albuquerque. Um, 17 point something, I am rounding. Um, and then between the three stores that were in Albuquerque when Beta came out, between the three of us, again, we sold 20%. And so uh, Albuquerque has been so heavily committed to, to magic since the very beginning. It was, it was literally uh, Peter and, and his wife at the time did a big tour of all the California gaming communities, and they, they came up through Albuquerque, and we literally had it like a rock star. I mean, they walked in, we had banners up, you know, paste, paper banners built with a computer. I don't want to make it sound too fancy. But uh, th there were 60, 70 people there who wanted to meet them and understand the game and meet the people who had created and hear the stories firsthand. I mean, it was it's always been a fantastic experience, and that's that's how we got into organizing, to answer your question specifically, because we wanted to do the cool things and Honestly, it's because I was a player more than I was a, a salesman. I wanted to play the cool things, and I knew that if I didn't make them happen, we weren't going to get the cool things. So long story short, along comes Wizards, and they make up uh, this rule that says, well, if, you, if you're running the event, you can't play in the event. Well, heck, that was the whole reason we were running the events. So Jody volunteered to run the events, but she had a very important caveat. She said, I'll be happy to run the events, but you need to understand it means I'm in charge. <laughs> she meant it, too. If you've met my wife, you understand that she's a businesswoman first. I mean, a lot of people don't give her the amount of credit she does. She is the organizer. I'm the public face of, of, uh, of Sun Mason events, but my, oh, my, oh, my, Jody is the boss. If you've, if you've watched us in action, you talk to our judges, you talk to our staff, they know this. So, uh, so I said I thought about it. I actually literally spent 48 hours thinking about it because, you know, it was a big deal. 
And so eventually I said yes, because we we had no idea how big we were going to get. I just wanted to play in the PTQs, and I played in, you know, those are the biggest events that Albuquerque got at the time. And over the over the 20 years since that, that came along, um, we had no concept of how the game would grow and what it would become. It's just it's mind-boggling even. From alpha to now, in your opinion, how much has magic evolved for the better? Well, I think... <laughs> well, first off, we know how to play. I mean, a lot of people, if you weren't around in the early days, it, it, I, I have a vivid recollection of going to a, uh, a trade show, the Gamma Trade Show in New Orleans. And this was in March of 94. And back in those days, you didn't play Magic one-on-one for the most part. You generally played in these what later became called Grand Melee events. And there was this table of about 10 shopkeepers who were sitting down to play Magic against one another. And bear in mind that at that point in time, nobody knew how the game really worked. You know, that, 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 you know, changed the color of something. That's only to the end of turn, right? Well, at each of these, you know, and so the way it worked was in your local community, the players would come up and say, well, what does this mean, Bert? And Bert would say, well, that means it's till the end of turn, or that's forever, or that's, they just made rulings. You know, they didn't even call them rulings. It's just the way it works. So when these 10 shopkeepers sat down to play one another, bear in mind, each one of them was a god in their little community. They knew how the game worked because they pretty much made it work. And the chaos and the fighting and, oh, my gosh, it was amazing. I I lost as quick as I could and got out of there because it was ugly. Uh, And that's one of the biggest things that's changed is that when you start playing for money and you start playing for pride and you start playing for recognition, the rules have got to be really obvious, and the benefits have got to be really obvious. And Wizards has done, I think, a very admirable job of making this into something, you know, the nature of the game is so complex to start with that they make these competitive events pretty well seamless. Now, considering the fact you are a player and the, the names have changed over the years, but the players' results have not... Over the years, who are some of the faces of magic that you've enjoyed spending time with? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Um, Rob Doherty is always fun. Rob Doherty told a great story about uh, Grand Prix Boston, where, you know, of course, he had tremendous success at all levels. And uh, he told he told a story of running Grand Prix Boston, and uh, his staff came to get him all in, a, you know, all in an uproar. And they said, there's a customer here, and she's furious. So he goes over and he talks to the lady, and, you know, my son, you know, dot, 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 he's, you know, he got robbed, and, you know, dot, dot, dot. Well, what exactly happened, ma'am? Well, you know, my son got sick, he he went to the bathroom, and he came back, and they said he could no longer play in the tournament. So clearly he went past the 10 minutes, you know, upset stomach, whatever the case may be. He was a young man. His parents, his mom had flown him in, actually, from, I believe, South Carolina. I don't, don't quote me on that. You'd have to ask Rob. And, uh, and she said, and I, and I called down and your staff told me to <clears throat> be off. <laughs> I mean, that was literally the message she got on the phone. And he, and he, of course, you know, Rob, he's very gracious and his eyes get all big and he looks at him and he says, wait a minute. He turns around and says, do you mean that phone right over there? By the door, <laughs> there was literally a phone for the armory, which is where the event was being held, where any customer could pick up the phone. So Rob's been a, been a charmer all along. I've enjoyed Rob. Um, 
I lost to Dave Williams in my one and only pro tour, which was on uh, the Queen Mary, which was a blast. He was the guy that eliminated me from day two. Um, I've always gotten along with Dave. Watching Conley Woods and um, Brian Kibler requalify for the Pro Tour. They did. They did each of those at one of our PTQs. That was phenomenal. The artists. <laughs> um, I have tremendous respect for the artists. Uh, it's something I have no skill at, and so it's almost magical in its own nature to me. Speaking of your event. You do have some famous names coming, and you have some famous names that are going to attending to do meet and greets. Yes, absolutely. Grand Prix Albuquerque is, is, I mean, again, going back to that history that that Albuquerque has with the game, our community is just amazingly excited about this. I cannot express. We have uh, 20-plus volunteers that have been meeting uh, as part of the volunteer group since the very beginning. They've helped us craft the event from that from that. Uh, uh, I mean, one of the guys said it best, I think. He said, never in all my time did I think we would have a Grand Prix in Albuquerque. So we're very grateful to Wizards for that opportunity. Um, Luis Scott Vargas, Melissa DeTora, and Jackie Lee are all going to be with us on Friday night. Um, we're going to have a meet and greet, and we're going to certainly be. And one of the things that folks should understand is that um, Grand Prix Albuquerque has, a, has a, I think, a wonderful pre-registration program. The more people who pre-register, the more toys we're going to be giving away. And uh, that meet and greet is part of it. As soon as we get our uh, 201st uh, pre-registered individual, then you know we'll be firing that off. They're going to be there in any case, no matter what. So that's going to be fun. We did decide, uh, I think, day before yesterday, that we're going to lock in all six of the artists. Uh, we have Rob Alexander, Michael Hayes, Darkon, uh, Franz von Winkle, R.K. Post, and Steve Arvell will all be at the show. Uh, I mean, that's a killer's lineup. I mean. You know, you got you got all the basic lands in Theros. You've got all the all the uh, shock lands from Return to Ravnica with Rob Alexander. Michael Hayes just got done doing the state's playmat, and uh, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, these guys are amazing. They're, you know, these guys are the kinds of guys you want to have in your corner when when uh, you need to bust out a whole bunch of tokens. You've run numerous events before. Mm-hmm. What are some of the logistical challenges of running an event? Well, I, I think that it all starts from our vantage point of breaking down the player experience from, from top to bottom. Um, we redo this on a regular basis where we sit down and we say, okay, the player does this, and then the player does this, and then the player does this, and how does the player feel about this, and how does the player feel about this? A simple example. Um, players sit down for the player meeting. And, and Grand Prix are extremely challenging in that they're open events that bring in people who may have been actually playing in their first ever sanctioned event, along with Hall of Famers. And so the dichotomy between the experience levels of all those different customers is just daunting. So, for example, um, the players sit down for the player meeting. It can be as simple as the judge walking up to and just grabbing the, the deck list out of your hand versus a judge who says, thank you, appreciate it, thank you. It's just, it's just playing nice to the person as they as they walk them through that process. It could be just that simple to, to take a person who then perhaps this is their first magic event of any kind, and then they go, oh, two, and it's like, oh, my God, I must be a failure. Well, you know, it's very hard to communicate to people that, that learning magic is very hard, and if you choose to start at a Grand Prix, um, we want to make sure we make that fun no matter how it turns out for you. So the logistics of making sure that everybody's nice, making sure that you have the right amount of staff, the heat and cooling is working correctly, 
the right kind of product and the right amount of product, uh, food, access to food, bathrooms, smoking, chairs are comfortable. I mean, the checklist is at least five or six hundred items. And it all starts from examining player experience. What's going to make that player so they have the best time, win, lose? We just want them to enjoy themselves. When this all comes to an end and you're done with an event, when you go through things and you review, what do you look at from a positive aspect of the event? And what do you look at that you look to improve from an event? Well, there are so many stakeholders. If you look at any event, you have the players. The players are always the first choice. It's the first sort. Um, the second sort, you always want to make a profit. If you don't make a profit, then you've made a mistake and you've done something wrong. Um, the size of that profit can be arguable by any number of people, but it's, it's, it's it as important after the customer experience. Then after that, you have judges, you have Wizards of the Coast, you have uh, coverage people, you have the judging staff, you have the non-judging staff. Each one of those groups has all kinds of different things. And the first thing you do, honestly, is you self-assess, and then you ask those stakeholders for their thoughts. Um, surveying is something that I think I've, I've pestered Helen about this one in the past, and I don't think we've quite gotten there yet. But I would love to see, uh, for Wizards contract events, a real survey system that truly worked, that told Wizards of the Coast whether this PTQ or that Grand Prix was actually something that all the participants really, really enjoyed or felt fell short. Um, that type of feedback loop is hard to get. So you start with the positives. You start with all the things that you know you're going to do again. And then, like, for example, in, at Grand Prix Anaheim, we did a boxed lunch program for players, with the idea being that uh, you could pre-buy your lunch for Saturday, have it delivered to your, de- to your uh, table, and you wouldn't have to go anywhere to get your food. It was a total flop. It just fell flat out in space. The judges liked it because we brought them food in on Saturday, but uh, but for the players. And so you, you eliminate those things that, that clearly didn't have legs, and you go from there. Like, for example, we have a program, we have an event uh, on our side events where we're going to give away a foil set of Theros, and that's part of a sealed event where everybody will individually draft out those cards. We've done about three or four of these, and the first ones were terrible. I mean, it took, we did, we did one at Dragon Con, and it just, it, it took eight hours, and, and three hours of that was the draft. Well, we've learned since then, for example, now we price all the cards, and the drafting goes much faster. And so that's, that's the type of thing you do. You just refine, 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 and then you try to find things like the buzzers. Uh, we were the first folks in North America to start using buzzers for uh, side events. How do you work with the facility to make sure that coverage people have the adequate equipment or adequate let me do it the adequate necessities to be able to do what they need to do coverage for the most part i mean you really got to give ggs credit um i think rashad and his team do a great job of making it as simple as possible you have to have a high uh a high uh, volume bandwidth you got to make sure that you've got the right and that can be uh from moderately expensive to very expensive uh, Every one of the halls we've worked in, and, and all three of the GPs we've ever all run were in carpeted ballrooms. We, we kind of think that's important. And, and to be fair, uh, we've been in venues so far where we could get away with that. We didn't, we didn't have a Las Vegas style or Charlotte style attendance that we had to worry about. So, but the coverage is pretty easy because you make sure they have the bandwidth. You make sure they have a spot where they can, they can do it well. Uh, you make sure that, that they're properly fed and properly 
uh, hydrated. You know, it's a lot like like staff and judges. You make sure that they're so busy taking care of what they're doing that, that you do what you can to help take care of them and uh, pretty much just turn them loose. I mean, they're very good about what they do. And then at the end of the event, the most important part, as some would say, is to make sure that they have a box to draft out with when they're all done. <laughs> you know, truly, I mean, you know, they, it, it, it's got to be, if you love the game, it's got to be painful to sit there and watch all this high-level play for hours on end and ask yourself, what would I do differently? And so, you know, that's they're, they're dead tired and they still want to draft. Oh, this is absolutely true. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. Trust now, me, I've, I've, sat, I've sat at the end. One of the things I've done, uh, to me, PTQs are kind of an unsung hero of the, of the organized play program. Um, the purpose of a PTQ is to select somebody to go to the PT, obviously. And um, I see a lot of people treat a PTQ as almost a mundane event. And for every top eight of a PTQ, there's two players, one or two or sometimes three, who get to the top of that PTQ. And this is as high as they're ever going to get. This is the epitome of their career in magic at an OP level. Just the nature of the beast. They got lucky that day. They had the right deck. They had the right circumstance, whatever the case may be. And so it's always very important to me at a PTQ to make sure to watch all the, the, the final four matches. I love I love the look on the winner's face when he finally realizes. Because it's funny. You think you think most of the time you watch a PTQ winner and he celebrates. And it happens from time to time. But the vast majority of the time when a guy, wins a, a guy or a gal wins a PTQ, they're not excited. They're relieved. That's the emotion that I see most often is, wow, I finally made it. When you have a PTQ and you have a higher level player in the PTQ, like you talked about earlier with Brian Kibler uh, or Conley Woods, and they make it, is it a different look on their face? Not really. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, Conley only attended one of our PTQs, and, and uh, the guy's got talent. The guy's just got amazing talent. It's just he came in. It was an extended season. He came in, and he had a deck. Uh that hit all the right notes and uh he has a lot of self-confidence just to begin with he's always angling for the the approach that is going to be unexpected and he did that once again at this event brian had a little bit more torturous path he was he was trying to send a qualify out of san diego which had which had the advantage of giving him more ptqs to work with but uh, we had watched him you know fall short on, on a fair number of them uh, he finally made it at a Las Vegas PTQ, and it, it, that that particular match was fascinating because he sat down and he was munching a granola bar, and he sat down. He finished off the granola bar, and his other his opponent was getting ready or doing whatever. And I think the biggest difference between that particular match was it was no big thing to to uh, to Brian. But it was, he was still uptight. He'd been here many times before, hadn't quite made it. And uh, I asked him about it afterwards, and I said, you know, you did something that I, I thought was quite fascinating, is that you actually ate something before you sat down to play the match. And he says, yeah, I've seen that happen so many times. People let their blood sugar just crash because they've been grinding all day long and so emotionally exhausting. He said, I always make sure I get something to drink and something to eat before I play. And he, said, he says, I sure wasn't going to offer him one. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, 
relieved, surprised, emo- you know, all those emotions occur. But the vast majority of the time, it's, it's just plain relief. I'm happy to have finally made it. There are dealers at the event. What are some of the challenges of being a dealer in Magic? Uh, dealers have got a rough road. I mean, the booth space is fairly expensive. There's no question about it. You've got all kinds of different expectations on what people want. Some people come up wanting to buy, you know. The, the one I love is the guy who comes up and, and desperately, you know, GP Albuquerque is going to be a, a standard event. So you know there's going to be some hot common that at the last minute they desperately all need. And the dealers can't afford to bring every common a person needs. The space is limited. The airfare is expensive. You know, you, you can't do it. So heaven forbid the dealer actually have the common they're looking for and he wants 50 cents for it and the player unloads on him. <laughs> I mean, you know, here the guy is saving you, and you want, and you think he's ripping you off because he's not charging you a dime for a car that you could buy in the shop for ten cents. I mean, give me a break. I mean, that's just like the guy is 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 actually giving you the guy or the gal is actually giving you what you need in the moment you need it. What price do you put on that? I, I vividly remember being at a at a convention as a dealer in uh, in San Francisco in the early days of Magic, and uh, I think it was the very first manifest. Um, and I was at the booth by myself, and it was me, and, and of course, I was selling some of that alpha and beta stuff. You know, My objective with the alpha and beta stuff back when we had the shop was to sell the same card three times. I would sell it the first time in the booster, I would buy that card back, and then I'd sell the card again inside Albuquerque as a... Uh, as a as a single to somebody else, and then they buy it back again and sell it a third time to somebody out of Albuquerque. And every time was supposed to be at a profit, so that was the idea behind it. So I was selling some of this some of this stuff, and uh, and this and this family come up to the booth, and the son was the magic player, and he's tall and you know kind of quiet and doesn't have a lot to say. And we're he selects some cards and we lay them out, and we're going back and forth, and we reach a certain point where the numbers just aren't coming together. And they're not all that far away, but they're not all that coming back together. And uh, the entire family is Asian. And uh, so what I traditionally do in that circumstance is, which is to say I'm okay with their price, but I don't really want to sell it for that price, is that I'll offer them a coin toss. I'll say, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll toss a coin. You call in the air. It'll land on the table for whatever it is. If you call it and you win, you get your price. If I call it and I win, I get my price. But we agreed to do it no matter what either way. And, you know, I win half of them, I lose half of them, and it all works out as far as I'm concerned in the long run. So he says, sure, he'll do that. And so we flip the coin, and he loses. He reaches down. He picks up three or four of the ten or so cards. He says, I'll just take these. And clearly my eyes got kind of wide. And I looked at him, and I reached down, I took the cards out of his hand, I scooped up the other seven or eight cards, and I said, if you have so little honor as to not abide by the decision you made, I don't need your money. It was his turn to kind of get (laughs) wide-eyed. Somehow he was convinced I was going to take it. They leave. About an hour later, his dad comes back. He said, that was the best thing you ever did for my son. (laughs) I mean, what do you do? That's magic. You know, it's it's the human condition. It was fun. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know that I ever saw the guy again, and who knows, maybe he thinks I'm a complete jerk. I don't know. You know, you make all those kinds of choices, and sometimes they work out, and sometimes they don't. Let's talk a little bit about Grand Prix Albuquerque. Yeah, Albuquerque is going to be, GP Albuquerque is going to be a lot like every other GP, and in other ways, very much different. Uh, the pre-registration program is absolutely 
unprecedented as far as we know. Um, for every 200 people that pre-register for the event, we're going to add more and more swag into the event. Uh, we have already confirmed all the artists. We went ahead and decided, because the plane tickets were priced the way they were, that we're going to go ahead and bring in all six artists. They're listed on the on the pre-registration program as being something that gets unlocked every time we open up a new reward tier. But for this GP, we're giving away, of course, the custom uh, playmat. Uh, you are the first to hear that we're using the Celestial Archon art as the playmat from Theros. I think that's going to be a gorgeous map, the original art, not the not the uh, alternate art. And then if we and once we get 200 pre-registered people, and this all has to happen before November the 11th, so it's real important that that your customers, if they're interested in coming to the show, hit the hit the website and pre-register because the more of these folks that pre-register, the more toys we're going to give away. Uh, at 200 folks who are pre-registered, 201, we're going to give away 100 premium shuffle tech sleeves with a deck box and 100 perfect fit sleeves, so you can play standard all day long without being stressful about it. At 400 to 600 folks pre-registered, complete set of unique artist cards that we're making just for the event. It's going to have a self-portrait by each of the artists and a bit you can turn over. Be a lot, something like a proof card where you turn it over and you can get whatever widget token that you want to put, put on the back of that. And then uh, Sign in Blood is pitching in an absolutely gorgeous life journal that's based on the New Mexico Zia symbol. Um, that's just and this this is a really high line item. I was really I was really surprised by that. It's it's beautiful. Um, and then an 11 by 17 souvenir poster, a lot like the ones we've been putting out everywhere. And then to roll it up nice and neat, we've got uh, Monster Protector. He's giving uh, customers their innovative uh, triangular shape uh, playmat tube along with a blank white playmat. Um, so you get the promo foil, you get a custom playmat. You get 200 sleeves plus a deck box, a complete set of six artist cards, which you can never get anywhere else of that set, uh, Sign in Blood's Life Journal, an 11 by 17 poster, a Monster Protector tube, and a blank playmat in there. All you got to do is pre-register. You're not spending a dime extra to get any of that as long as we get 601 people pre-registered before November 11th. Grand Prix Charlotte, where they had they had to delay the start of the tournament mm-hmm. because of the amount of people that were still trying to register. Right. The advantage of a person registering over the person who doesn't. You you talked about these things. You also have other specials for people that want to pre-register and enjoy the value of a sleep-in special and one right. other thing. What is that all about? Well, sleep-in special is fairly straightforward. That was first uh, pioneered by the uh, guys north of the border. Um, Jason Ness was the first one to introduce the sleep-in special. and it, it, Its simplicity is just brilliant. Um, it's an opportunity for a player to pay $20 extra and, and not necessarily have to show up at Friday at all. They pre-register. They can send their deck list in early if it's a constructed event or have the, the pool registered for them. It's very simple. You either love it or hate it in many cases. Um, there is a very definite cost to the, the, that service. A lot of people don't understand. There are a lot of things that have cost that, that folks do not necessarily recognize. The next special we got, of course, is the is the VIP special. VIP is, uh, I forget who first started that, but boy, am I grateful that they did. Uh, VIP is a, is a way for a player to, to more control their experience. You get a bigger play space. You get fixed seating so that so you you know where you're going to be every round. 
Um, in our case, where you also get a uh, custom design closing a pin, it'll be something like uh, the type of pin that was given away at, at Grand Prix Las Vegas. And then uh, the other thing we're doing that's that's different this time is that our VIPs traditionally, and for the short period of time that VIPs have been around, players have been given a, a, a bottle of water each round. And we live in New Mexico, and it's you know, I personally, quite honestly, on a on a personal level, I think bottled water is terrible. I think it's bad for the ecosystem. I think we're throwing away a lot of water. Um, it's just going into landfills, and I don't know how long it's going to take for that bottle to, to break down for the half the bottle you throw away. So we're pretty opposed to water bottles just on a, on a personal level. Um, so what we're doing is we're making a custom aluminum bottle that we will be refilling at the table. And the, and the advantage to that, which I think is kind of neat for the player, again, going back to studying that player experience, is we get to make the water cold which up to that point, the water bottle is being passed out at most VIPs are just room temperature. So, you know, we got it. But there's important things. To th- this is this is an example where you could shoot yourself in the foot. As Jody said to me yesterday, he said, we need to figure out a way that when we hand that water bottle back to them, not an ounce of that water hits the table. Because water and magic cards, they don't play nice. What was the solution for that? Uh, we have to work with the with the convention center staff. They'll be the ones doing the water refills. We've already arranged that ahead of time. And so they're going to have to be trained to, to wipe each bottle off before they hand it back. And they, that's just that's just one little detail of a thousand details that you've got to pay attention to. If you're gonna, you know, it's, it's very easy to have something that you think is going to be a benefit. Um, and, you know, you're trying to do something nice. A, a small example is... Uh, is uh, you know, rewards cards in Hell Vaults. I mean, you know, I never understood why somebody else getting something nice meant it was bad for me. I never really understood that one. I mean, you know, yeah, I suppose there's a fairness issue of some kind in there, but it's, it's such a gamer thing. I mean, I love gamers to death. Don't, don't get me wrong, but there are some things about gamers that are just kind of strange. I and, mean, you know, so you have to be very, very careful that what you do is not, uh, does not, no good deed will go unpunished if you're not careful. For you, when you do these events and they're over with, how excited do you get about finding out about the opportunity of getting the next one? Well, for us, um, the next one is, is almost always just something we create. Um, we're not on the schedule for GPs for 2014. Uh, it's unclear at this time if we'll get another one. We don't know. Um, that's that you. You know. You know how you see. You watch something like The West Wing or something like that, and you say they always say in that show that that you serve at the pleasure of the president. Well, you know, if you're an or- organizer at an elite level, you serve at the pleasure of the organized play team at Wizards of the Coast, and you either make them happy or you don't, and, and you do the best you can. Some guys clearly do it very well. Um, I am frankly, you know, to me, you know. Pete Hoffling, Steve Port, Mike Guptill, these guys are all amazing. I mean, they do good work all the time. Um, and so, you know, there's a whole there's a whole category of us who still operate, you know, from you know opportunity to opportunity. And it's it's interesting because every opportunity that I can recall um, with Wizards of the Coast that represented an opportunity to step up was when they called up and said. We have an issue, and it's in this community, and we could use some help. Do you think you could do it? And you might say something like, well, when is it? And they'd say a month from now 
or two weeks from now or something like that. And you know what the answer is, right? Yes. It's always yes. <laughs> you, you know, well, I don't care what Howard is. We're going to do something. Yes, we'll be there. And so that's what you do. And so you just you just keep your skills up. You do the best you can, and you wait for the for the opportunity. So as it stands at the moment, we're on the bench. So in terms of GPs, we don't know what our next opportunities. We still have other events that we're very excited about. We do still do Dragon Con, which is an amazingly large event. We do South by Southwest. Um, we do a number of of large events, but yeah, we'll wait and see what happens on GPs. Well, Dragon Con itself is a unique experience. And <laughs> oh yes, it is. With that and the different types of things you have to deal with, how do you? How does Dragon Con work? Dragon Con, uh, I, a judge once said to us, and I think he hit the nose on the head. The nose on the head? Head? No. I don't know. Anyway, uh, what he said was that Dragon Con is like running the side events at a GP, and it and it really is. Um, we ran ninety five drafts this year at Dragon Con. Um, we had 14 or so featured events. And DragonCon, by the way, is the only venue that we have where alcohol is served at tournaments. They, they literally get to go upstairs to the hotel bar, bring their drink down, and come down. And there's no other event that we run that allows alcohol in the hall. Um, so that leads to some interesting scenarios. Um, failure to agree on reality is a very real thing at DragonCon. Uh, it may not be a thing in the in the rules any longer, but it's a it's a thing in Dragon Con. We we have those issues from time to time. At the same time, you know, we've got a very aggressive learn to play program there, and we teach an awful lot of people how to play. Uh, you know, for those those retailers that might be listening, the, the thing I've learned from doing multiple multiple teach people how to play scenarios, if you have the wherewithal to start with Duel of the Planeswalker, introduce people to Duel of the Planeswalker. We've got consoles that sit on that sit on uh, uh, stands and the cu- customers play on those. And that's a real good chance for somebody to, to uh, get introduced to the game without necessarily the, the uh, embarrassment of losing or the, you know, the, the whole, you, you can learn at your own pace. And that's, that's, that's really useful. Do all the points walk has just been flat amazing for, for the growth of magic. And then you take them over to somebody who now sits down and, for us, when we do learn to play, we take four players, they sit down, and they start playing each other. We don't actually teach them how to play. We give them two or three things on how to play, and then a dynamic starts that's just absolutely fun. They start to teach each other. And we're there to answer questions, and we jump in when, when things start to get a little mucked up somehow, and they start playing. And then uh, at South by Southwest, we haven't tried this yet at DragonCon. I hope to do this next year. We actually then roll them into an absolutely free mini-master event. And the neat thing about the mini master, you, you can't do the learn play if you, if you have a DCI number. That's how we measure that. And so if, but if you have a DCI number, you can come do the, your one free mini master for the show. And a lot of times what happens is somebody will come and say, here's, here's my significant other. I want them to learn how to play. So they'll, they'll go through the dual of the planeswalkers if they want to or straight to the learn to play, whichever level they're comfortable at starting with. Then they'll jump into the, the mini master. And of course the significant other is there as well. And what you end up with is you got all these people who are teaching each other how to do magic. And it's, it's, it's enchanting. It's just absolutely wonderful. You know, it, it's, it, it's not, you know, a lot of people think learn to play is tough. It's not all that tough if you get enough people all, all trying at the same time. You're having Luis Scott Vargas meet and greet before the event on Friday. Luis has a very tough schedule with a new job and where he's located. How did you convince Luis to come to the event early? 
No, I mean, you know, we've been, you know, we've literally been running events for 20 years. But, but, but what I'm saying, no, no, I mean, what I'm saying is Luis comes to an event. He won Grand Prix Los Angeles, which was the first GP we ran. So, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know if you go back and look at, uh, one of his earlier magic shows, not magic shows, but, uh, uh, magic TV, you know, he discusses the fact, you know, before, uh, Anaheim, I think it was, how much he likes Sun Mesa. And so he's always been very sympathetic to us. It wasn't a problem contacting. He's gunsung for us at a, at a, uh, at a PTQ. I mean, these guys, the, the, the interesting thing is, you know, it's like that movie that I forget which one it is that has Christopher Walken in it. Who, you know, they, they, they say, you know, he's no different than anybody else. He said, yeah, I'm no different than anybody else. I put my pants on one, one leg at a time. Then I go out and I make gold records. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the, the, the thing with, with, with notable pros. I mean, I think, I think pros have got some of the toughest territory in the game, but they're just players. I mean, at uh, Grand Prix San Jose, the team Grand Prix, um, I, I vividly remember this this guy, Ryan Kibler, and myself, and Tim Shields, the organizer, are all sitting there chatting. And we're just talking about different things, and, and the pros are fantastic. They're not, they're not bashful about feedback, and you need that. You got to have that feedback. And so, but and this guy's just hovering on the edges, you know. And so I kind of step back and he says. I wonder if I can get a picture with, with Brian. So we'll make that happen. And so the thing breaks up and, and I say, Hey Brian, you got a fan here that would love to get a picture. And Brian's completely nonplussed. He talks to him for five, ten minutes. We get his picture. I email the picture off to the guy. The guy's thrilled. And and to me, that's magic. None of the people that I'm aware of, yes, have there been a holes in magic at different levels? Yes. <laughs> They're all over. Okay? But the, but the fact is that the folks who are in the game a long time understand that while we, the organizers, might serve at the pleasure of wizards, the pros, when you boil it down, serve at the pleasure of the players. Because if they don't have people out there buying boosters, there is no play, pro tour. It simply doesn't exist. The job of a pro tour is to sell boosters. And if they're not taking care of the players in a, in a fashion, that, and that means taking care of their own brand, then... There is no Pro Tour. There is no Pro Tour players. How hard is it for you guys to keep everything on schedule? For the for the main event, for the for the for the main event, if you and bear in mind this is going to be kind of interesting. Albuquerque will be most likely, unless they change it in the future. But Albuquerque will most likely be the absolute last event. That oh no 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 I take it back, I take it back. Uh, Toronto, Toronto will be the last event where people can register on Saturday. Um, moving forward, there will no longer be Saturday registration. And I think that's, that's I just, you know, magic as a community needs to, to grow. And one of the ways to grow is to make sure that if you want to play in the event, at least be there on Friday so you can pre-register or pre-register online. Um, all those options are available. Um, you know, pre-registration is something we were the first to announce pre-registration. I believe, you know, this is not to be quoted. Um, we announced pre-registration for Grand Prix Anaheim. And then Steve Port threw together something and actually had it the weekend before at uh, Minneapolis. So, you know, it was uh, it was fun. But, you know, pre-registration is just absolutely critical. I, I believe uh, I believe Grand Prix could be so much more than they are. Um, they're being 
they're being held back by a variety of different things. Um, but the question they get is, okay, they got 1,750 players to show up at an event. Why mm-hmm. is the payout the same for 500 people as it is 1,750? There's an easier answer to that. Super easy answer to that. The super easy answer is, how do we handle 400 people in Singapore? What's the right choice? There is no right choice. The the, the truth is, the, the entry fee collected and the prize pool has to be something that can work worldwide. Now, you have PTQs in Japan they get as low as 24 people, you know? And so that person earns an invite for a five-round event plus a top eight, okay? So, I mean, the search for fairness, the search for equality, and the search for um, a level playing field comes in a variety of different formats. And if a player wants to feel like he's subsidizing the worldwide magic experience, then there's some truth to that. Um, What in your mind can satisfy a player that is still upset about the fact that he paid so much money to get into an event? Well, and I think, I think, um, I think that's kind of the, the whole attempting to justify it based on expenses and stuff like that is kind of transparent. Um, it, 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 it's to me as a player. Now I'm going to speak strictly as a player. Um, what matters to me is did I get my money's worth? Now if I paid 40 bucks for the event and I got a ton of items and I got six artists that I got cards signed at, because bear in mind, not everybody wants the same thing. Um, balancing the, the experience of what somebody wants with what uh, the venue has to offer is, is, you know, really important. And for GP, for GP Albuquerque, one of the things we're doing is we're having a, a uh, GP leak and crossing my fingers, but I'm hoping we can get the space configured so that the GP leak can run next door to the artist area. And the idea is that, you know, we haven't finalized this, so of course this can't be quoted and don't share it with any of the other organizers for now, if you would please. Um, is that we hope to have take a number for the artists. You take a number. This is your number. We'll have six artists, maybe six take numbers. We don't, we don't have the system figured out yet. We're working on it right now. And uh, we hope to, you take your number, your number 122. You go sit down. You play a league game. Maybe the wait's going to be an hour. Well, if you're playing Magic, who cares? <laughs> you know, that's the idea behind it. We want to eliminate lines where it makes sense to eliminate lines. And so, but that doesn't mean that a guy isn't going to get all wrapped up in his game and then miss his number call and then be all pissed off. You know what I mean? It becomes our fault for whatever reason we didn't announce it loud enough. So you have to be careful with all those things. But trying to, you know, our revenues has organized every organizer, by the way. This doesn't matter whether it's a GP, a Friday Night Magic, a GPT. Our revenues are transparent. Our revenues are absolutely transparent. You know how much money we took in. We tell you how many players there were. You know how much the entry fee is. It's not hard to do the math. So from there, if you try to explain, because there is no way to explain to a player 
the P and L at the end of a at the end of an event. Yeah. By the time by the time you include insurance, security, uh, gross receipts tax, I mean, there's like there's like a dozen things I can think of that they will never think of. I mean, and 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 in their defense, they never should. They should never have to. You know, so so the bottom line is, if you pay your forty bucks and you walk away exhausted and happy, I've done my job. If you walk away at forty bucks and you're disappointed and pissed off, then I've done something wrong. Yeah, but what? Okay, even if you go oh three and you have no chance of making day two, there's nothing that says you have to drop. No. You can keep playing and playing right. and playing and get your right. eight rounds in. Mm-hmm. Eight rounds of magic for 40 bucks. Well, I think that's, I don't know about you, but I think that'd be a pretty miserable experience. I don't want to, I don't want to spend a day losing. You know what I mean? So, so what I would prefer, no, what I would prefer to see is that a guy goes, oh, three drop, let's say, for example. And then all of a sudden he goes over and he gets in, like, we're going to be doing sealed commander. The commander picks will be out on November 1st, and so we're going to have sealed commander events. You go over and pay for a commander event, play that for, for an hour or two, go get a bunch of cards signed. Um, you know perhaps. what I saw that you had yeah. that I thought was yeah. fascinating? Uh-huh. Was the M14 uh, Deck Builders Challenge. I think that was going to be neat. I, I, oh. I played in one of those events. I think that event is going to be awesome. I, I, mean, saw, I saw that, I'm like... Damn, I want to do that. That yeah, like so I mean that event. Fun. That event is going to be so cool because it's it's. Uh, I played in one of those, and it's a lot like playing in a constructed event because you get those pre-built the, the, the segments that are already that are already tweaked for for most commons and uncommons that you need to build good decks, and then you get the five boosters. I think it is, and it's just it's just wow. It's an embarrassment of riches in a limited environment, and so. At that point, it's just, it's a blast. I mean, cause it still has just enough restriction to it to, to, to give you that variance that comes from limited, but it also severely tests your deck building skills. And the other thing I saw was the, the super series draft finals. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness gracious. You win invitation travel to the mm-hmm. super series in Seattle. Wow. Exactly. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, I think, I think like one of the things that we're doing differently that I think will be real cool is that we're going to have four or five cosplayers that we've invited to the event. And I think we're really amping up the festival part of the event. You know, um, I'm surprised you guys didn't ask. Uh, uh, it, Christine. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was more a, a function of, of, the folks we've got coming uh, are being supported by the Sign in Blood folks, and so they're they're actually sponsored as far as that goes. And um, considering that we've got six artists, three special events, we've got like nine people we're supporting one way or another. <laughs> and so, considering that it, you know, all right, most shows see two to four artists. For example, we've got six. Um, the, the meet and greet folks, you know, they're often there nowadays. I mean, this event, just like any other event, is, is borrowing, you know, is standing on the shoulders, I should say, of, uh, of all the guys who have gone before us. You know, 
we we do what we can to 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 learn from folks. Well, yeah, and the meet and greet it's not free. You have to provide something for that. And it's it's amazing how you know just the little things that you have to do to make the event better mm-hmm. and how much those add up so did, fast. Did you look at the schedule at a glance? Uh yeah, and I and the first I thing mean, I thought I'm, of is at least you know check it there. <laughs> I wish I wish uh you know I wish we could take credit for being the guys to originate that, but the the first place first place we saw that was at a was at a uh, event in Singapore, as a matter of fact. They 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 built this, and so I thought I thought when I saw that I thought wow. Why? I mean, of course you go to a convention you see this kind of stuff all the day, you know. And so, but why not at a magic event? You know, it's just like there's so much going on. We want people to be able to make good choices. We want them, you know we want them to know what time things start and how things go, and you know. Magic players just want to be able to say to themselves, okay, when does this event start? And this is one of the ones that, that I love. We have on our little chart of player experience, and it's like, what time does it start? And then next to it, it says, parentheses, it says, is that true? Because <laughs> like, you tell someone, oh, it's going to start at 10 o'clock. Okay? And then 11 o'clock rolls around, and for whatever reason they, the, the event hasn't fired, that's a failure. That's a bust. You know, because because the player showed up at ten, he's he's foregoing other choices, and inevitably, if it start if it goes like that, he'll say, "Well, I was going to do this, but then your event didn't start to eleven, and then I couldn't go." And so, so yeah, it's it's really important to ask yourself, "Is that true?" And then make it true. I like I like that that the five hundred reasons to play Legacy and the five hundred reasons to play Standard. Right. I like those too. And you're doing two at a giant, which is always awesome. People love that to death. I mean, I, you know, it, it's funny. If I wasn't so busy today doing other stuff, I would have taken my kid to the local store and we would have done the two headed draft. Uh, right. Just because, you know, you can do that. Uh, the interesting thing is you have the one that's the re GP standard. Right, right, right. It's interesting how it's like, yeah, and, you know, you can do it again. And right. see this time if it works. Well, and I think I think every player, if you're, it's pretty good if you're competitive. If you're a competitive player, there, there are a few players. If you're if you're a good player, that for whatever reason scrubs up, and Magic can do that to you. Magic can kick balls all the time. And if you scrub out, you know, it, the opportunity to to take a second look, or perhaps try the deck you thought might have been better. Um. You know, a lot of times it's between these two decks, and I went with this one, and it turned out poorly. It was a poor metagame choice. You never know. You know, but giving giving players an opportunity. You know, they they came to play standard in our case, and so let's let them play standard. I gotta admit, like I like look at this schedule, going, huh? Let's see, the sixty-four person draft challenge. That would be an absolute thrill. <laughs> yep. It's I it just like I could see how someone. Uh, it, it's. The thought of the design is, yes, we have the ability of you want the competitive magic player there. Mm-hmm. But you're also providing a lot of events that allow the, the, the let's use the father and son combination. The father's right. played magic in the past. The son's just starting to learn. Yep. You know, yep. you can do things where you're not busting the bank, you know, and they can come play for three or four hours and go home. Exactly. Well, one of the, one of the messages we'll be putting, pushing in our advertising is, and we, we tried this with Grand Prix Anaheim, and it was fairly successful is we Facebook advertised not the main event, 
we Facebook advertised three or four of the side events and promoted those as a reason to come to the GP. And uh, we had we had real good success with that. We'll do it again. We will we will focus on uh, two or three of these events, like the two-headed, the shiny sealed uh, Theros, um, and then the foiled again two-headed giant. I mean, those, the shiny sealed that's just a that's just a fun event. I mean. That's just a blast. I mean, well, my one that I want to see is the Three Kingdoms draft. Uh, we'll wait and see how that one goes. Twelve hundred dollars is a lot of money, but we're pretty excited. We already have the box in hand. Um, Those cards are worth. Oh my goodness gracious! Right, right. Well, in in uh, we co-produced Grand Prix Kansas City back in two thousand eight. That was we didn't we weren't the TOs and so it's not one we count on is one of ours uh, that was offered offered by Steve Farrell and uh, some guy showed up on site who wanted to sell some old boxes and so bless Steve's heart he he grabbed one of the beta boxes and then he put up a draft and it was a twelve hundred dollar buy in which was which is super reasonable at the time you know and uh, I mean we we looked at doing a beta draft first off we couldn't find a beta box yeah good luck on that. We couldn't find a beta box. Did, you want to know what the entry price would have been? Uh, well, let's see. A beta box had uh-huh. to be 2500 Try 38 Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, I mean, that's just... If, I, we might have tried it. I don't know. You know, because there are, there are a number of high rollers that, that live in our part of the world. We're not all that far from Vegas. And so, no, you're not. And so, I don't know, you know. What? No, but what you gotta understand is, is how much is it worth for someone's time to be there? Mm-hmm. I mean, what could they be doing that would be more beneficial to them than going there and making nothing? Well, to watch Steve Argyle show up at a show at nine o'clock in the morning and still be there at eleven thirty, <laughs> and he's still, you know. And you hear the stories they tell. It's like it's you get to a certain point. You're focused at a at a twelve inch level for sixteen hours straight. You might go to the bathroom once. You might grab a sandwich real quick, but the line is relentless. You know if you you know Charlotte that was you know if the line is relentless then then you know you don't want to disappoint anybody. And it, it's not the revenue. Sure, they want the revenue. Don't don't joke, but but the but making the fan happy is every bit as important. Now, when you see one of your players that qualify for a PTQ go to the Pro Tour, do you track how they do? Are you absolutely invested in them? Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, the vast majority of uh, of people who qualify for our PTQ are friends with me on Facebook, and that's in part a function of, of keeping track of how they do it, at both the PTQ and life. Um, you know, it's it's you see a lot of transitions in, in players and players sometimes, you know, make it for one season. You see players that that were good and then get disqualified for issues later on. I mean, that's, you know, the, you, you get the whole gamut of all kinds of different issues. But uh, a lot of them just become friends. And that's that's the best blessing of all. Um, you know, it's, it's the relationships. I have watched players in a top eight who are good friends, and they're now competing against each other. And perhaps they're not teammates, but they still have known each other for a very long time. And I've watched one player literally screw another player. Could be any number of different ways. We've all seen it. 
and perhaps win that game and advance to the semis or whatever the case may be, and then lose the next game. And it's like you threw away a friendship for one win. I understand relentlessness, and I understand wanting to make a goal, but was it worth it? And when you talk to those guys a year later, they all say it wasn't. Thank you again for listening to the show. A reminder that Grand Prix Albuquerque is not the weekend of Thanksgiving. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. There's already some big names that plan to be in attendance. Obviously, Luis Scott Vargas. There have been other people on Facebook that have been mentioning it. There was a lot to this interview that I didn't get to put in because Glenn's just such a great guy and tells such fantastic stories that don't make the cut uh, because of certain things I don't want to really share. Again, I really appreciate you listening, and as always, you can reach me at themenamagic at gmail.com. Again, I will be putting special interviews up here as I get them for you because you people have been the loyal listeners that you've been to the show. Again, thank you for listening.